Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hello and welcome to the Meaning Academy podcast. I am Dr. Daniel A. Franz. Dr. Dan with my good friend, Dr. Baruch B. Halevi, uh, representing part of uh, the Meaning Academy and our desire to continue to bring the, the great messages of Dr. Victor Frankel, logotherapy and meaning, purpose and resilience to all of you out there who uh, have been enjoying it and learning from it and growing from it. B, how you been, man? Hey, buddy. Good to uh, be back in action with you. I feel like we missed a couple weeks, a lot of moving parts, a lot of traveling for me. It's been a lot of um, getting kids settled in college, which I think is some of what you've been up to as well. Yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> it just hit me the reason, one of the reasons why uh, we didn't get together last week, not, not only the positives, you know, the bittersweetness of moving kids to college. Um, you know, we, we both had that last week, but, uh, also what I am starting to think of is not just the summer from hell, uh, but the summer from hail, um, because the, uh, the storm, I was going to use a different word, uh, word with storm, but we'll just call it the storm that has been, that started in probably it was late March of this year, uh, destroyed the hood of my vehicle. I drive a Jeep, so uh, at least I had a, a hard top on, didn't do that, but just ripped through the hood of my Jeep and then uh, my house uh, roof, which is kind of a blessing in disguise. We knew we needed a new roof, but uh, hail damage roof. Um, well, the, the ironic thing is because the hail damage up there is the reason why uh, the sign behind me and everything here in the Dr. Dan studios had to change because over there in the old corner, because of the roof, that gets wet. It floods here every time it rains, and uh, well, part of the summer from hail. But uh, my personal journey from the summer from hail started, you know, about the same time. Be just something as simple as goofing with the dog late one night after a rainy day, uh, having a, a great time with the puppy Daisy. And uh, I went one way, my knee went another one, and I heard one of those sounds you hear sometimes. Um, in like a, a football game or a soccer game where people really end up screaming at the end of that sound. I'm like, man, that's uh, that's smarts. <laughs> and, uh, so I've been dealing with that all summer long, trying to get better. And, and here's the funny thing, like just bits and pieces of uh, doctor's visits and physicians. The other day after dropping my daughter off from uh, at school, well, let's let's go back before that. The, the day you and I were supposed to re record a podcast, I was supposed to host our meaning mastermind last Thursday. I was really excited. Spent a lot of time preparing for it. I was sitting on a client call, wrapping it up. It's, it is, uh, I'll never forget the time. It was 10.55 a.m., a storm again, the summer from hail. 
just a storm rolling in, nothing big, but uh, my internet connection's not doing well. And so I look over, I'm standing up in the area where all my internet is upstairs, just trying to get a good signal. And I'm looking at the router and it's going blue, red, blue, red. I'm, that's not a good sign. I mean, what else happens when, when lights go blue, red? Usually you have an officer behind you or something. We don't want to see red and blue lights flashing. It's never a good thing. And so I'm looking at this router and from out of nowhere comes, I mean, yeah, the loudest boom. I think I've ever heard in my entire life and uh, lights are just explosion light. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm dead. It's over. I have no more worries. My suffering is gone. I think I've died. And then I recognize the, uh, the poor individual on the other side of my headset's going, uh, are you okay? And what did you mean by those words? That doesn't sound very therapeutic. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the middle of apologizing, but also realizing, uh, my uh my house my internet tower had been hit by lightning blew up the ground around it traveled underneath my house back around to the router i was looking at and blew it up in my living room as i was staring at it. my my favorite picture you sent me was um <clears throat> the ground charred between the tower and your house that's pretty remarkable yeah there was a, a trench that the line went through and the lightning actually blew the line out of the trench there was line uh, internet line hanging from the trees around me. So my first thought before calling you, my friend, uh, was, oh my goodness, is my daughter okay upstairs? I race upstairs, check on her. She's good. And then I start to do damage control and literally picking up shrapnel, plastic pieces, uh, power surge protector all over the place. And then I think, honestly, second thought, everybody's safe, good. My God, I got to get a hold of B. I'm supposed to host the meeting mastermind. This is important stuff and I can't. Well, maybe that's a good uh, segue into what we were considering talking about, which is when we experience not just, you know, one suffering, but sufferings, it starts compounding, it starts feeling overwhelming. Everybody listening has had their variation and versions of this. When it rains, it pours. When it hails, it, you know, lightnings and uh, <laughs> things blow up and feels like, can't deal with it. What do we do? Right. And so our conversation today is sometimes it's not about fixing it. It's not about coming up with the remedy. It's not about me giving you solutions. It's just about creating a space to get it out, to process it, to hold the suffering. Kind of like what you and the audience just allowed me to do right there is run through that list of frustrations. And it's interesting in my office, whether it's whether it's in a clinical setting, working with people truly uh, suffering and saddened, or even in a business setting, working with businesses struggling with different degrees of negative variables approaching them, it very often is some of the greatest healing, some of the greatest change comes from simply listening. Um, you and I know in, in our field of logotherapy, uh, the great Dr. Viktor Frankl believes, logotherapy believes, we all believe, that the solution to our problems rests within us already, right? It is part of who we are. It is part of the noetic. It's part of our defiant human spirit. And uh, we get to use, as you and I are trained in, the great art of Socratic dialogue or what we call mayutic questioning to help people uncover that, to just listen, to be present, and to help them to discover the solution that's already there within them. It's a paradigm shift and I also think it's not how I'm wired, particularly as a man. I get told this by Ariella all the time. 
whenever she wants to share something that is her particular suffering and I start going into my fix it mode, right? I become like, um, was that Wreck, Wreck It Ralph? Did you ever see that TV? Absolutely. <laughs> fix it, feel it, fix it, Felix, fix it or something like that. And I, I go into that mode where she stops me and says, you know, like, I, I don't want you to fix it. You can't fix it, but you could listen to it. Like you could do a better job of listening to it. So as much as I'm trained in it, we all preach what we most need to learn. And I, I forget that there's no solution that I'll ever give anybody. Like you said, it's about you discovering your, your solution, your path, through your suffering doesn't mean we're powerless doesn't mean we don't have a job to do and that is to hold the space so that somebody can process absolutely and, and i want to point that out especially to all you men out there listening and, and 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 women who have men that should hear this hear b's example because uh in, in my years in in clinical and counseling practice that is um definitely something i've had to instruct many men on um, and I, and I like to joke, you know, I, I really didn't get it initially in life. I had to go to school for two extra years just to figure it out. Um, our, our partners, our wives, our, our, our loved ones, our daughters, our mothers don't need our brilliance, our wisdom, our ability to fix everything and anything as men. Um, sometimes they just need a, need us to hear them to recognize that they already have a solution. In some ways, guys, it can be kind of condescending when we look at our wives or our daughters or our mother and we say, well, what you should have done was ABC. They don't need that. There's no, no I, would, I would argue it is, you know, like this is thousands of years of wiring, but it's also cultural because our, our culture now more than ever, so whether you're a man or a woman, we're living in a fix-it culture. Right. Where there must be a book. Um, so I wrote a book on surviving loss, grief. I never show up to a, a wake or a shiva home or a funeral with this book in hand, because at that time, there's nothing to do other than just to be in it. There comes a time when now solutions or directions or insights and advice has its place but it's got to happen in time and we're just so uncomfortable in this fix it felix culture um to sit with things and just allow time to take some of its course i'm gonna i'm gonna alter fix it felix to fix it pfizer hmm. um or fix it bear or fix it eli lily um, they've done a great job marketing to us that however we feel, whatever we're experiencing, they have a pill to take care of it. On the other hand, if we can embrace the suffering and grow from it and learn from it and hold space for it, we become better. Medication numbs it out, makes us feel better. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there are times when medication is highly, highly recommended, but it isn't all the time. We don't always need to numb it out and just feel better. Sometimes we have to endure the difficulty and get through it and it's funny um so we were enduring b i tell you what man it was like i know what the pioneers lives were like this weekend i lived without internet oh my god i know for three days brother it was crazy like and you know it's not just no internet but like that means no tv no netflix no disney plus no amazon we had to talk to each other b 
And then I feel bad for your wife. <laughs> you should. You should. All of you out on the podcast, you get this wisdom all the time. Imagine living with it day in and day out. But here's here's the really the funny. This is what really got to both of us and really brought us closer together. So we take our daughter to uh, to to college on Saturday and had some some friends. Uh, uh, another therapist and his daughter came and just let our dogs out. I'm like, hey, come by for a couple hours, let them out. And they're like, no problem. That way, that allowed us to spend as much time as we needed to getting her settled into college. And they did. And we get back. And my poor old dog, he's 15-year-old Barley, right? If you look on social media, he's he's all over my social media. Um, well, he had a bit of an up, upset tummy. Apparently, uh, our friends allowed him to eat from the pear tree of good and evil. We have a pear tree in the backyard. And that boy must have sat out there for three hours eating pears. Rotten pears, ripe pears, not ripe pears. Because he painted the house brown for three days every. It's been a rough, hours. been a rough run for you, buddy. It has been, and but the funny thing was, and this was probably about ah, probably I'm I'm guessing two thirty three a.m. Tuesday morning. Uh, you know, Michelle's out there helping me clean up this mess and taking care of the dog, and I just start laughing uncontrolled cackling it was horrible like i was horrified at the sound coming out of my own body i'm like what what why am i laughing so much and she looks at me and, and got a little kind of the sideway like you're not gonna make it are you <laughs> and as i'm giggling i said i can't believe my knee feels so much better because i you know i heard a noise in the kitchen i jumped up to take care of the dog right outside i'm like Thank goodness I feel so much better. You'd be here all by yourself cleaning up this mess. So in a way, it was it was finding finding a blessing in all that difficulty. As I said, we were up every two or three hours for a couple days. Sleep it was kind of like having a baby again, which reminded us why we're so happy to be empty nesters at this point. So I think um, you know we're we're in that space of. <clears throat> There's just no substitute for just being in it. Like sometimes you just have to, you just have to go through it and there's no, um, there's just no way around it. Mm -hmm. And we're not used to that in our culture where there's always a quick fix. There's always a solution, like order something off of Amazon to make it all better, make it go away. If you order it now, you know, it was amazing to me. My kid wanted some AirPods or whatever for school and I ordered them and they were here like within three hours. I was like blown away. Like I like I ordered it and voila, it was almost like poof. And but now it's becoming less and less of a miracle that that happens and almost an expectation. And therefore my time frame is amping up. And if it doesn't come till tomorrow, that's a long time. So we're like in this place and space of make it happen now. And if it can't happen now with a quick fix, I don't know what to do with it. And I think that's part of our challenge today is can we learn how to be in suffering, sit in suffering, and just kind of work through the pairs? <laughs> well done. <laughs> oh, you got me there. Work through the pairs. Uh, <laughs> a lot of pairs. In all of their glory. And <laughs> all their digest. Anyway, um, yeah, a couple thoughts. You just totally derailed me, bud. That was great. <laughs> I can't get those yes. pairs out of my mind. One um, for me. One for me. You know, I remember 
Oh, this used to drive me drive me nuts as a kid. My mother would always say, "Well, you know, patience is a virtue." I'm like, what "The hell does that mean?" I don't even know what a virtue <laughs> is, but I know I don't like patience. I don't like waiting. And you know, you've heard me say this many times. There's there's good research out there that the industrial revolution has caused the world life to speed up at incremental paces. Right? That it, we just we can feel it. But when we step back, when we step back to uh, to allow that space between stimulus and response when we teach ourselves patience when we allow ourselves to take a breath and wait we cultivate this sense of of i don't know it's, it's almost a heroic virtue in that yeah i don't need that immediately i mean when we run around life just day to day having to chase things down and having to it was fun like amazon was at my house at 7 30 this morning i have no idea why they, i haven't even looked to see what it was but i'm like why are you here? And why do we live in a culture that <laughs> tells us you know, we need to have these things within, as you said, just within hours? I, I would offer it. It may not be healthy for us. So let's let's unpack that word because, I, you know, your mother's a, a sage. Um, patience is a virtue, but patience. I love the I love playing with words. And the word patience comes from Latin pati, which means suffering. Right. So. By definition, suffering is about waiting. There's a great book by Sue Monk Kidd, who wrote many famous books, but one of them is called something like The Waiting Heart. And it's all about the second half of life, cultivating the ability to just be patient, to just sit, to allow think time to work her magic. Patience. And that uh, patience, if I remember correctly, wisdom justice patience courage no temperance courage wisdom justice temperance courage the four great stoic virtues you know patience is in there and kind of each one of those this goes back to all kinds of philosophies over the past thousands of years but again in the past few hundred years we have this drive to make everything happen faster and i don't think it is sustainable I think that is part of the reason why we don't know how to suffer anymore. We don't know how to help people suffering because as you said, we feel like things we should be over or past or done with these things within, well, hours. Apparently that's what Amazon teaches us. And I know you and I both deal with people that come to us saying, well, shouldn't I be over this grief? Shouldn't I be over this suffering? People keep telling me to get past it and get over it. And what have we, boy, what have we been saying a lot lately? There is no way. You know, the only way through it is through it. You have to endure it and, and experience it and allow it to change you. And once you understand like a friend going through suffering, you're not there to fix it. You're not there to do anything other than patience, <laughs> to hold the suffering. That's a gift. Mm -hmm. um, I shared with you this um, quote by Henry Nouwen, who's a well-known Christian theologian. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. And like that is what a friend, that is what a spouse, that is what a child, whomever, is really asking from us. All they, they could possibly ask from us is to just be present with us and sit in it with us. And that is a gift. And when people start realizing this, 
it makes it a lot less scary to show up at somebody's bedside or somebody's um again wake to be with them and their family during that time because there's nothing you need to do in fact the more you do usually the worse it gets so mm -hmm. don't do anything and just know that you know showing up is the gift yeah so this this is where i give away the secrets of uh of psychotherapy right we were talking about this earlier we don't want to give away the secret sauce but here's the secret sauce that's often a large portion of what we do as logotherapists and psychotherapists just being present not enough of us know how to be present and to truly listen and to witness to somebody's suffering whether it's at their deathbed or whether it's uh somebody else is that they're grieving or a loss or a difficulty um some, as you said so often we hear in our times Sometimes it's about showing up, being present, and that can be freeing. You don't have to have the answers. My goodness, you and I have studied the answers for, I don't know, 50 years between the two of us. We don't always have the answers. Sometimes the answer is I can be here for you and just be witness to your suffering. So many people miss, like they, they unconsciously or consciously avoid a friend who's going through suffering, mm -hmm. a divorce or loss of a loved one because they don't know what to say. And so they spend their life running from the opportunity. The opportunity is just like, just, just people appreciate this. I mean, having done hundreds of funerals, I can tell you, people just appreciate when you just show up. You don't have to bring flowers. Don't bring flowers. In fact, you don't have to bring anything. You don't have to do anything. Just show up. It's so freaking simple, but it's terrifying. Why is it? Why do you think it's so terrifying? Back to our culture. It's like, I'm supposed mm -hmm. to have answers. I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed, you know, it's like we, we have not been taught the art of just being present. It is not part of our culture. We don't do presence. You know, we <laughs> do, we do presence. We don't do presence. And uh, it's, it's almost to the point where it's seen as like weak. Right? What do you mean you showed up empty handed? What do you mean you didn't do something, volunteer something, right? No, like just being present is enough. I think partially in my work at the Enneagram comes down to everybody's dealing with their not enoughness in different ways. We all feel like we're not enough. So we go through our Enneagram type to try and be enough, but you are enough. Like how much of that is our message to people in the, on the journey? You are enough enough and we don't believe it i think uh, I, I can reflect back on some of the, my work this week and really you know remember some people who feel like they have to be everything to everyone and that is often where not enough comes from i have to make all of these people happy i mean i have to make all of these people whole i have to have the answers for all of them and the, the real answer is no you don't be you be authentic be present be the you know just be there yeah i mean it happened to me early in my days as a rabbi when i would get challenged theologically why do bad things happen to good people you know i just lost my daughter tell me rabbi why this happened i i i used to try and like be god's spokesman like what arrogance and finally <laughs> gets this place where it's like i don't know I, I, I'm just a schmuck just like you trying to live their life and figure it out, but I can just be here and I can let you shout at me and I can absorb that as an act of compassion so that you can work through your suffering. And if that's what you need right now, 
then I'll, you know, like I'll absorb that and I'll hold that. I won't take it on, but I'll hold it for you so you can work through your, your pain. Let's, let's talk on that really quick because I think that's something unique to, to both of our trainings. I will not take that on. We can't help but be impacted by the people's lives we touch. And as any human trying to help another person just to bear witness to be with them, you can't help but be touched by. But as you said, that doesn't mean you have to take it on. You don't have to be in. Uh, There's a therapist I work with that says, you know, I won't go down in that hole with you, but I'll hold the light and be ready to help pick you back up. Right. We can't always go in. We can, we can go into the depths, but we can't carry those depths with us throughout our lives and our days as well. So that's always an important one. You know, when you're going to be with somebody, when you're going to bear witness, when you're going to try to help somebody, it doesn't mean you have to take it on and, and, and carry the burden all the time for them. It's a difficult balance to have as a professional, but equally as a lay person just trying to be helpful to another human being. Yeah, and I think that helps people going into other people's suffering that you might get yelled at, you might get blamed, you might get, it's not, doesn't mean it's yours, you don't have to own it, you can, Mm -hmm. you can allow, you know, it's the Buddha who's attacked by some passerby yelling at him with anger, and the Buddha says, you know, if I, if I were to give you a gift, young man, and you didn't accept it, to whom does the gift belong? And the man says, you know, if, if you give me a gift and I don't accept it, it's yours. And he says, that's how I feel about your anger. Like, you're welcome to be angry. You're welcome to scream and shout. I don't accept it. I'll hold this space so you can work through it. I'm the Buddha in this situation, and but I'm not going to take it on as mine. It's yours. And as an act of love, I'll let you work through it. Now, it doesn't mean anybody listening that you have to endure abuse Right. It doesn't mean that you have to allow people to walk on you. But I do think of my job sometimes as the um, cosmic garbage collector of (laughs) holding out the garbage can and just letting people, you know, dump into the garbage can. And when they're all done, like tying the, the garbage bag up and throwing it in the heap. You know, that's an interesting point. In 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 a less metaphoric sense, what do you really do when you feel that that trash can of what you've taken from people what do you do to tie up that bag and and give yourself some relief and to discard maybe some of the the negative emotions that have been thrown your way so this is totally random but it's funny so um i just went to the grocery store to buy garbage bags and my 12 year old was with me and we got to the like there's now like 50 types of garbage bags right like everything else and there was one that's scented and my son looks at me and goes, who the hell wants good smelling garbage? <laughs> and it was just this moment of that's so true. Like there's, there's a reason why shit smells like it does. Wayne Dyer says, so we'll get rid of it. Right. So well, and let me tell you, I mean, digested pears really smell that way. Pretty, pretty poor. <laughs> put, yeah. Put them in any kind of garbage bag you want, but if it has perfume, that just, what are you masking? Like get rid of it. There's nothing like the scent of lavender and dog diarrhea in the same compartment. <laughs> That's so, so but his true. point is so well taken and it's to your question of what do you do with it you 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 bury it yeah right you put it in a landfill and get it out of your house <laughs> sure well and i was looking for more practical <laughs> it's ironic you brought it up dang it i forgot i had to order new trash bags from amazon uh, but I, if i did it in five minutes i could be here yesterday so i'll, I'll but, worry about that later but yeah but that's to your point though it's like I, the point about scented garbage bags like what, you're going to keep it around long enough that you need to scent it or are you going to dispose of it properly and you're asking me for practical solutions and that's true we need we need proper ways to dispose of this 
So there's a let's talk about some strategies, some practical tools of how you tie up the garbage bag when people have left it on your doorstep. Sure. Well, first I have to point out, I mean, I love this this uh, this paradise you live in where people recognize the trash is full and tie it up and throw it away. Obviously, nobody in your family plays trash can Jenga where they work to stack to the to the highest tower before before tying it before dad goes son of a come on um, but again now within the past five days being empty nesters there's only there's only two people to blame here so nobody else gets to play trash can jenga um how do we tie up we find humor right we do uh, people that um deal in death regularly uh morticians physicians nurses um, uh, my brother, uh, was an EMT for a while. The sense of gallows humor that they develop would be mostly inappropriate for any of us outside of that profession. Um, but they have to find humor in it. And, and you and I, and what we deal with have to find humor, you know, again, laughing at the fact that I'm cleaning up piles of, and, uh, my knee feels good, right? You got to find humor in the difficulties or, you know, and that's that's what Dr. Frankel teaches us. Humor is one of the greatest tools of the defiant human spirit. So humor is um, it's he calls it a weapon of the soul. I mean, it's not just a defense mechanism, although I tend to use it as such. It's also a survival tactic. Right. And a way to defend off despair. So that is a great way to tie off the trash can bag of poking fun, making fun, joking. Now, again, everything in his right time in his right place. That's that's a great tactic. Here's another one is um, I just blanked on it. Ritual. I watch mm -hmm. my wife is a healer and she's got some really weird rituals, I must admit. But I'll see her walking around after a client like with sage mm -hmm. and, you know, like doing like this thing around her body and cutting off like all the cords, whatever it is. But for her, that's a meaningful ritual. For me, I have a space that I meet clients. So I don't meet just anywhere. We have a designated space. And that's my space where I do my work that's contained. And like that's known as my space. And I can create some boundaries and borders through that ritual of when I'm in that space, I'm doing this. And when I leave that space, I let it go. Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. Um, I think also is, is, you know, if we go to the other side of the spectrum away from humor or maybe not away, just different from humor is spirituality, recognizing there are forces out there that the human mind can't fully understand. And sometimes that means we can't fully understand suffering, but there is something out there, a greater cause, a greater purpose, a God, whatever you might want to call it. There are things out there that we don't understand that impact us. And, and that's, that's okay. Another another way that I tie off the garbage bag um, so that I can come back and do it again and again, hold people suffering and not making it my own is realizing that it's not personal. That's why I like the Enneagram. I know you use Myers-Briggs where sometimes I'll explain it as, you know, it's not the person doing it. It's their Enneagram type. Mm -hmm. So uh, an eight is doing this and it's coming from a place of anger and it's not about me. They're, you know, eights tend to need to work through their anger. Enneagram twos need to work through their, their pride, their neediness, whatever it is, I can start depersonalizing it. That's just my way. You, you know, people listening will have their way to not make it so personal. Mm -hmm. 
another tool of logotherapy right out of logotherapy in a nutshell the second half of man's search for meaning that nobody reads um depersonalization as the world's worst psychologist and philosopher is known to say it's not about you that's my worst dr phil mcgraw impersonation ever i'm sorry but um i find him and his teachings quite despicable but that idea that it's not about you is, is very true. It's an important one. It's depersonalization. It's stepping back and recognizing, as the Buddha says, this is your anger to bear. I can be there to, to bear witness to it, but I can't take it on. Um, there's a teaching, I forget where it is. I think it was in the Talmud about a rabbi who couldn't take any more of the most of the world's most annoying congregant and basically <laughs> kicks him out of the synagogue. Like this guy is just a schmuck. So he kicks him out. And then he, um, you know, dies, meets his maker, and God says, you know, there's only one thing that I'm really upset with you about is you couldn't handle Mr. Cohen for a couple days, a couple years. I dealt with Mr. Cohen his entire life. I put up with him as God for 51 years. You couldn't put up with this guy for a, a day or two or a year. And I think about that, like, can I just bear the burden of this person? Mm -hmm right? Because they're having a really bad week or day or year or life. And as an act of service, cosmic service, can I hold that space for this person a little bit longer? Yeah. Let me, <clears throat> that, that's a good segue into the second half of that quote you shared, right? Um, the friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness. That is a friend who cares. Wow. I mean, how powerful is that relationship to have somebody that says, you know what? I'm just here with you. Most, most of my friends that are that close to me know to give me a call anytime. Say, you know what, Dan? I need some barn time. And that means we go out to the barn here at the Dr. Dan farm and I just sit and they talk and maybe we enjoy a drink or a cigar, but it's just a place to kind of unleash. And there are, look, some of these problems, there are no solutions, difficulties in families and in-laws and illnesses, but the ability to listen. And I have those people too. Thank you, B, for one of those, being one of those people for me. We all have to have those people in our lives. We do. I draw from uh, the Catholic tradition on this, the power of confession. I, I really do think it's a human need to just confess whatever that means to you and to have a person or I'm in, I'm a part of a, I started a men's group called men's search for meaning and watching these guys show up and just have a place to confess, not, you know, like the job isn't afterwards. I don't say, you know, say like, you know, seven Hail Marys and the Shema Yisrael. Like I don't give them like prescriptive things afterwards. We just, hold the space and i kind of think of myself sometimes as a priest in that way just so them they can just bear get it offloaded offload their their burdens into a space for other people to bear witness to and it's hard to explain but it feels like we're just doing a duty or a service to the person just by allowing them to do that the barn the the barn the confessional, I think that's one of the things we, we often hear about the Catholic confessional. So many people are afraid of it, afraid of, of, of taking, uh, taking inventory of their sins, of their issues, 
and kneeling down and saying, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been four months since my last confession. And here's the list of all the horrible things I've done and why I'm a terrible person. But you're right. There's there's some goodness. It's 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 scary to come to that to recognize our flaws in the in the twelve step literature. It's called a moral inventory, and it can be a very powerful thing. Sometimes we can just do that at the end of the day. Where did I fail? Myself, my family, my my God, my spirit, whatever it might be. Where did I fail? And what do I want to do better again tomorrow? Sometimes it's helpful to have somebody else look at you and say. Well, maybe there's a couple of things you could do differently, but in the end, man, you're a human, you're flawed, you're broken, and all you can do is keep trying day in, day out. And you hear secular people almost in this day and age poking fun of the confessional idea, like, oh, what, now it's all better, and now you're forgiven? It's it's much deeper than that. It's the human need to give voice to that monster that's in all of us, and different monsters at different times, different darkness. And to be able to not only say it, but to have another human being with the capacity to receive it, to hold it, mm -hmm. and to bear witness to it and not turn you away as if you're a monster, right? Because mm -hmm. we're all dealing with that darkness. And to have another person or a group or a professional create that space, hold it, and so that we can not only get it out, but also still be received. That's a profound profound and powerful uh, process. Yeah, as a part-time devout Catholic, part-time questioning Catholic, I can tell you, um, yeah, you go into that room with another person and, and spill your guts and they say, hey, you're human, it's okay, go think about these things. Yeah, it or does, like, you're loved. it does get all better. Right, you're loved, Christ loves you, you yeah. know, that, from that paradigm, it's not mine. Yeah. And like that, whoa, like, wow, yeah, you're still loved, not in spite of it, because of it. Like that's a paradigm shift. One of the most beautiful things I've, I've heard in that room in, in recent history was, uh, you know, if you're not battling your failings on, you know, every day, well, then you're just succumbing to them. It's like, wow. If you're not recognizing your own struggles on a regular basis, well, you're just giving into them. That's that idea of that if you're not moving forward in life, you're moving backwards. And so it's about, you know, I, mean, I guess we wrap it up here, but it's about um, it's about creating a space, you know, as um, what's his name? The psychologist called it positive, unconditional regard. Carl Rogers, unconditional positive regard. You are right. Unconditional positive regard. I'm going to hold the space for you where literally there is no judgment there's nothing you're going to say that's going to disgust me cause me to walk away i will create this unconditional space for you to bear your burdens and tell you in a thousand different ways and you're loved not in spite of your your wounds your shatterings your brokenness because of it like that is the ultimate gift beautifully stated and that's what we can do as, as we started, and as the quote you shared says, that's what we can do for each other. Don't have to be a logotherapist or a therapist to do that. Sometimes just being present and bearing witness to each other's difficulties, sufferings, sins, grief, loss can be very powerful. You don't always have to have the answer. So, hey, let's, uh, this is the Meaning Academy podcast. You can find out more about the Meaning Academy at themeaningacademy.com. Check this out. As of yesterday, we were uh, taking a pause from our meaning 
masterminds at three o'clock Eastern on Thursdays. But a group of meaning seekers said, you know what, we're going to continue to hold this space for each other as you, Dr. Dan and Dr. B and Dr. Elise go into the tower of logotherapy to consult with the great logotherapists throughout time to design the curriculum and, and to really find out where the Meaning Academy goes. We're we're taking a bit of a break. We're creating capacity so we can do more for the Meaning Academy. Uh, a, a group of Meaning Seekers said, we're going to keep doing this. So if you are interested, hop on TheMeaningAcademy.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and uh, just get a reminder and a link for us to uh, let you know Thursdays, 3 p.m., still going to have the Meaning Masterminds. Different people will be there. B and I may pop in from time to time, but we will not be uh, facilitating, as we said, maybe as much as we used to. And uh, there's a lot more coming out from the Meaning Academy here, uh, hopefully in the near future. Amen, brother. This is a good one. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having the courage to begin this conversation by sharing yes. some of the uh, sufferings of your heart. And, uh, you know, go get out there, um, read Man's Search for Meaning. Anybody listening as a, as a pathway to healing the broken heart and moving forward and holding that space for others. So until the next time, I just blanked on our, our sign Live off. your life with meaning, purpose, and resilience. Amen. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.